This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. You're listening to a message by Pastor John Matthews. Okay, so first, it's, uh, it's exciting to, I'm going to take you a direction that I, th- I don't think I've ever went before, actually, on a Sunday morning, and um, I'm actually going to talk to you guys this morning about the topic of the wilderness, which is typically not like, yay, wilderness, woo but um, it's actually probably one of the most powerful topics that I've ever studied out before, and I've been preparing, m- actually, most of the week on this one and just really studying it and pulling from different fathers and different people and hearing what they have to say. And the more I study it, the more I realize how powerful the wilderness actually is. And here's the thing. Maturity is not developed in the absence of options. Maturity is not developed in someone because there's an absence of options. I've met people before. I remember when I would youth pastor, I'd meet young people that would, you know, feel like they were, I'm great. You know, I've never never done anything bad, and sometimes I was, have you actually have an option, or have you been so surrounded and, and sheltered to the point where there was no options even, because the same people, when they get out in freedom, you begin to find they go crazy, and God has always recognized that there's a need, and I want you to hear me all the way to the end of this before you start drawing conclusions about what I'm talking about, but Jesus demonstrated a different model from the very beginning. From the very beginning, he put options in the garden. You ever thought about the fact he's the one that put the tree there? It's not like he said, devil, you get this little circle of the garden, and the devil got to plant his tree. Jesus actually was the one that put the tree in the garden because he knew if there wasn't options, there was no possibility to be maturity. He was a good enough father to give his children options knowing that life without options would create weak, unstable, and just theoretical thinking only. But it's through the process of options, and it's through the process of having to rise above something that we actually get to mature. The topic, let's say it this way, life without options never allows you to overcome. Chew on that. Life without options actually doesn't position you to overcome. If you never overcome, you never have an experience. And if you don't have experience, you don't have authority. And if you don't have authority, you're at the mercy of someone with a good argument. We're not going to get through all this, I can tell. (laughs) This is new for me. I've never preached on this, so I'm working it out too with you. No options means we don't have the ability to overcome. It's in the place that we overcome that we get to have an experience. People that have an experience have an authority. Tell someone that got healed supernaturally in their back that God doesn't heal. They don't care what you have to say. Tell someone that's never experienced healing that God doesn't heal. You might have a better chance. Why? 
because they don't have an experience. And someone that's lacking an experience is always going to be at the mercy of a good argument. It goes anywhere in life, guys. So a man without an experience is at the mercy of a man with argument. And here's the thing. What is the enemy? He's the father of his only tactic is his mouth. I know we, we feel like he's that big and bad, but actually his only weapon is he has a big mouth. He has a really big mouth. But see, God, ex- God designed it from the very beginning that we would actually be people that have experiences in our life that when we hear the lies, we can say, that's ridiculous because I live an experience and I'm not at the mercy of a lie. Typically, people that fall to lies often are people that are lacking in experiences. The topic of the wilderness and temptation is probably one that we walk around often in the church because the reality is um, we don't understand it. And we just throw everything with the topic of the wilderness. I think the only thing that we think about when we think of wilderness is the Israelites. Right? That's usually the first thing. Oh, the Israelites. When in all reality, the Israelites were a prototype pointing to a believer, I could take you through the whole process. It's brilliant how it points forward to what the life of a believer would be. But the reality is, as if you look at the Israelites and you look at the process, the first thing that happened is they were in bondage and God called them out and said, you're going to be a kingdom of priests, is what it said in Exodus. Sound familiar? While you were still living a mess, as Brian Simmons just said, God puts a crown on your head and watches you grow up into it. And see, there's this thing where he calls you out. The Israelites, he called them out, but it was actually the wilderness that came after the salvation experience. We've almost got it backwards where we think that, oh, well, I go through the wilderness and then he saves me and I'm good. And one of the biggest issues is that we simply just don't understand how the wilderness works. So my goal this morning is to take apart just two pieces of it, to really break down two pieces and and run with that. But the reality is this, wilderness is not optional. I wish I could come up here and say, I'm going to give you the keys to never, ever go through the wilderness. I would be the biggest liar to ever stand up here. Because if Jesus had to go through the wilderness, there's no way that you and I can get around it because he was demonstrating the perfect walk. And he had to go through it. Why? He went through it purely to demonstrate for you what you'll go through. You understand that was the whole point of Jesus coming and walking the earth. Not the whole point, but it was the primary point of what he went through was to say, listen, I'm going to demonstrate to you all the different things that you're going to face. He, he got baptized. He was without sin, but he was demonstrating. He went into the wilderness. He was demonstrating. He, did, he died. He was demonstrating all these different principles that you and I are going to have to walk through. And one of them that he showed very clearly was that he had to go into the wilderness. But here's the great thing. When the Holy Spirit leads you into conflict, it's only permitted when you've been equipped to win. Say that again. When the Holy Spirit leads you into a place of conflict, not you getting yourself into a place of a mess. I can't speak for that. 
But when the Holy Spirit leads you into a place of conflict, it's only allowed when you've been equipped to win. The best understanding that we have on this topic is really just studying Jesus, looking at what he went through. Everything that he did was to model how we can succeed. No matter what you've heard, no matter what preaching you've heard, his goal is that you will succeed. If you amen anything I say this morning, that's a really good one. His goal is that you would succeed. I mean, that's like, yay. I mean, it's like, I'm not, some people are like, man, I, it's like they think he's just out to make them fail. It's because we've taught that into people to fear it into people to control people. But he's not controlling. If he was, he would never have given an option B, which was a tree they shouldn't have eaten from. If he was so controlling. He's empowering. He's not controlling. (laughs) I'm not going to dive in real far on the topic of control because I don't have the time. But everything he did was to set an example of how they could succeed. Every season of life he faced, he was setting an example for you to succeed. The life of Jesus, he lived it to be a model to show you you can do this. People almost look at him like, wow, I could never do that. Well, then what was the point? It would be cruel for him to walk on earth to show you something you can't have. Flipping your Bibles to Luke, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, and we're going to jump in at verse 21, and it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was being baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. Everybody say, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love, excuse me, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 30 years old when he began his ministry, and he was the son of Joseph. I want you just to stop there for a second. Interesting passage here, because Jesus has done absolutely nothing as far as ministry goes yet. And the father said, good job, you're my son, I'm pleased. This immediately demolishes the need for striving in our life. Because before Jesus ever did a thing to minister, God said, his father showed up and said, you've been walking for 30 years. Put it this way. The authority that Jesus carried was on him from the moment he was born. He carried authority from the moment he was born. Why? Because authority comes when you're sent. That's why it's so important that you're sent and you just didn't went. (laughs) You know what I mean. (laughs) It's so important that you're sent. And Jesus was sent by the Father, which means because he was sent, he had all the authority he needed. But he lived for 30 years. Do you realize he lived and walked the earth for 30 years, looking around him, seeing his purpose was to demolish the works of the enemy. And everywhere he looked, he saw the fingerprints of the enemy, but he couldn't do anything yet. 30 years. Imagine that. 30 years he just walked the earth and loved people. Everywhere he looked was his assignment. Evil, evil, darkness, darkness, darkness. 
but he walked the earth, and he kept walking the earth because why? Because he had authority, and even Jesus knew that he couldn't accomplish the mission that was on his life if he didn't have power. And the power came at the baptism. Actually, the power, the Holy Spirit came at the baptism, and where I'm getting ready to take you, the power came alive after the wilderness. He came with authority. He was baptized, and the heavens opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and then he was clothed in power, but something happened in the process of him going into the wilderness that's extremely powerful to catch on to because Jesus knew, he completely understood that his, his mission could not be accomplished unless he had authority and power. Don't ever try to accomplish the assignment on your life without power. The idea that we can remove the Holy Spirit and power from churches and equip powerful people is very confusing to me. I'm not bashing it. I'm just saying it's a very confusing topic to me that we're trying to raise up powerful people without the spirit of power. But we wonder why we have so many frustrated people because we're telling them what they should do without the spirit of power that enables them to do it. So if we flip over to the next chapter in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, here's where it gets interesting. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Everybody noticed he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted. How long was the Israelites in the wilderness? Aren't you glad that Jesus does things a lot quicker? <laughs> New covenants, just, Jesus is like, you don't need 40 days, guys, 40 years, guys. Watch this. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. I don't really know what to think of that, but I always thought it was funny. It said at the end, he was hungry. You'd think he'd be hungry in the middle, too. But. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of this world. And he said to him, I will give you their authority and splendor. Pause right there. What is the enemy doing? It's all he's got, guys. And it's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord God and serve him only. And the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God... He said, throw yourself down from there. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to test. When the devil had finished all the tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Everybody say he left him. Notice when Jesus went into the, Ill, the, the wilderness that said he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But notice when he came out, he was filled with power. Next verse, 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He went in filled with the Holy Spirit. He left with power. In the middle, there's this process called the wilderness that so many people want to stay away from that they never tap into the power that was meant to come out of it 
maturity. Maturity is formed in the place of conflict. Jesus went into the wilderness with the potential of power, and he came out filled with power. You need to get a hold of this, because the wilderness can actually take what is potential in our lives, and it forms it into realities. You're all filled with potential. Matter of fact, the Bible says that think the, you can think as hard as you want, you can imagine as big as you want, and you can't possibly imagine how much power you're filled with. Think about that. I mean, people, some people have some pretty wild imaginations. You still can't imagine how much is in you. There's that much in you and more because we don't even know what that much is. You're filled. The potential is packed in you. But there's a process that forms it from potential to reality. And so many people are so happy just being potential. I'm potential. I mean, I'm potentially great. I got all this great stuff in me. I have so much potential. But I want to walk in it. I want to get to the point where I'm 100% when I pray for healing. I'm 100%. But right now, so many areas are potential. And here he is, he's saying, I want to make it reality. But there's this little thing in the middle called the wilderness. The question is, how bad do you want it? (laughs) I'm going to mess with your heads, guys. I can feel it coming off of you. Just hang in there. The lie that we buy into regarding the wilderness is that it's a place of misery it's a place of no fruit. It's, we almost believe like the wilderness is punishment from God. But if it were punishment from God, that would mean that Jesus had to do something wrong if the Holy Spirit put him there. So we know it's not punishment because if it was punishment, Jesus wouldn't have went there because he was without spot. And he walks through this process for 40 days. But it was not 40 days of not producing fruit. No season, and and I'm careful how I say this. I believe that every season in a believer's life can bear fruit. I do. People don't like that because it puts accountability on them. And if I can pull the, well, I'm in a non-season, fruit-bearing season, I'm good. That's why there's multiple fruits you can bear. There's always something bearing fruit outside right now. He gives you all these different fruits. There's all these different seasons. You're not limited to one. Because if you were, you could say, well, that's not the season for this. But that's not how it works. He says, listen, I've given you everything you need. You're always going to be in a season of bearing fruit. But sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Let's be real. Sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm bearing much fruit. But Jesus goes in and he demonstrates this place of 40 days. And the reality of the wilderness is the wilderness is not some place outside of you that you come to. The wilderness is actually inside of you. It's not some location. Oh, I moved into this house and I'm just in the wilderness. 
I'm in this job and it's just the wilderness. This is the wilderness, man. I'm in the wilderness. You're not in the wilderness. The wilderness is in you. It just depends on how you handle it. Because I can go into any situation and I can bring with me heaven and the kingdom. Places and locations are not wilderness. You got to get this. Because if you think it is, then what happens is, as you believe until you get out of that place, you can't get out of the wilderness. And then, you've, then the liar has convinced you, you're in the wilderness. And then when it's, you're stuck in that job for 20 years, I have been in the wilderness for 20 years. It may not be your preference, but you can thrive in that place. There's comfort in understanding that the Holy Spirit will only lead you into conflict when you've been prepared for the challenge and he has the intent of making you a champion. The only time he leads you into the wilderness is if he he has prepared you and his purpose is to champion you. But what are you thinking in your head when you're going through these seasons? Because it's different if you're thinking, well, I just, God's just disciplining me. I knew I shouldn't have watched that movie. Now it's 40 years. I knew I shouldn't have done that. We have a really poor understanding of grace if we believe that. He doesn't take you into the wilderness with the purpose of seeing you fail. He takes you in the wilderness with the purpose of seeing you succeed. So here's Jesus. He comes out of this massive moment. This is probably, if Jesus has like his top five moments, this has got to be one of them. He's like, you know, here he is. And I imagine for John the Baptist, it was number one. (laughs) It was John the Baptist is like, they send him, he gets this word, go out in the desert and that's where you're going to find Jesus. I heard somebody say one time that, you know, I don't know what it looked like, but it was almost like I see John the Baptist just like baptizing people. Nope, you're not him. Nope, you're not him. Nope, you're not him. I don't know what it would look like, but all he knew was to go out into the wilderness, and that's where the Messiah would be revealed to him. So he goes out, and you know the story. Jesus comes walking, and it says in your your Bible that he could see him from afar off, and he knew it was him, which is interesting because he's never seen him. Jesus carried so much life that it was recognizable on him, even not even knowing what he looked like. And so he sees him coming, and what does he say? Oh, he asked him to baptize him. And Jesus is like, no, I need you to baptize me. This has got to be messing with John big time. He's like, whoa, you, isn't that how prophetic words can play out sometimes? Like, I had in my head this way, this way, and this way. You preached on that last week, the process. Sometimes we have this thinking in our head that, well, it's going to look this way or it's going to look this way. And Jesus shows up and is like, actually, I need you to baptize me. And John is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I'm not even, I can't even take the sandals off your feet. And he said, you know what? Just do me a favor. Let's do it. He said, permit it be so. And so he does it, and big moment for Jesus. He goes down, the Bible says that the heavens are ripped open, literally ripped, 
what does it sound like when the heavens rip open? I'm waiting for that one. I'm like waiting for a Sunday when I just hear this like, I'm like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And ripped open, the, here he comes and the father speaks. Interesting because it's beginning, to, it's beginning to now actually mirror Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder, remember the first house of God, Bethel, when he said that there was a ladder between heaven and earth and there was angelic activity and there was the voice of the father. Now here's Jesus being baptized, and what happens? The heaven is open, there's supernatural activity, and there's the voice of the Father. He's starting to fulfill. He is the fulfillment, the initial fulfillment of the house of God now becoming in a person. It's not a location. It's a person. And so he tells John, he says, let's do it. And so what happens? He gets this massive, massive, uh, just heavens rip open, and yeah, and then the Holy Spirit's like, let's go into the wilderness. But, but I thought that was like before the big moment. Big moment. Wilderness. Why? Because the Holy Spirit needed to work into him. Everything that he's experienced needed to be worked in. I'm going to show you some stuff that's going to blow your mind here. The first thing that we need to understand about this, this passage is the difference between trials and temptation. Because some people use the words synonymously. They're very different words. Matter of fact, in your Bible, a lot of the times that you see the word temptation could actually be, could actually be translated otherwise. For example... James 1.13 says, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, right? Matthew 6.9.13 in the Lord's Prayer says, Lead us not into temptation. Why would Jesus be praying that he not be led into temptation if he can't be tempted? See how the Bible can feel like it almost contradicts itself if you don't understand what it's talking about? Because here it says that he'll never lead you into that. And here he's saying, please don't lead me into that. What would be the point of that prayer? Why would Jesus be praying that he would not be tempted if God doesn't tempt us? Let me just read this from my notes to make sure I get it right. But there's five words in the New Testament that share the same Greek root word, and it's these. Prove, examine, test, trials, and temptation. All five of those words can easily be interchanged in translation. James 1.13 could actually be more appropriately interpreted this way, that God will not lead you into trials. Are you with me? There's a difference between trials and temptation. You can't throw the two of those together. When we encounter temptation, God always offers a way for us to overcome and to pass through. Remember when Jesus was praying and he said, Lord, he said, if you're willing, take this cup from me. You guys remember that when Jesus was praying? I'm not gonna take you to all these scriptures, but he said, Lord, if you're willing, he was praying, he said, take this cup from me. Jesus knew that he was getting ready to go into a trial. This is different than a temptation. He was getting ready to be in a place that was a major trial and he knew it and he knew once he went into this journey of a trial, there was no jumping off. Because he was praying, Lord, please, 
take this cup from me. He knew once he started down this, there was no getting out. Trials are not the same as temptations. In trials, God will give you, and I don't want to paint it as though God's not with you. It's the furthest thing from the truth. In trials, God is, I see God almost in trials as like a coach. Coaching you, encouraging you. He's close in trials. Some people experience the closeness of God in trials more so than they've ever experienced it anywhere else. There are trials that you look back in life that you went through things with your family, you went through personal issues, and you look back and there's moments that you say, I never felt God up to that point that close. But in that trial, I felt him right there. I could hear him speaking to me like I've never heard him before. Why? Because in trials, he's like this good hovering father that's like, I'm right here. I got you. Temptations are different because when you're led into a place of temptation, he's trying to work into you the things that he's already taught you. And for that to happen, he has to stand back a little bit. You got this. Trials are different than temptations. He never promises us that we won't have trials. Temptation is not bad. It's another lie that people get told, which is another source of condemnation. If temptation was bad, then Jesus was bad because he was tempted. You're so quiet, guys. Jesus was demonstrating that you can overcome this. I've set you up for success. Temptation actually, put it this way, temptation actually proves you. It proves what you carry. The bigger the temptation, the more that God is trying to prove in you. (laughs) It's not as though he's tempting you to demonstrate your weaknesses. He's tempting you to demonstrate your strengths. If I wanted to demonstrate how much my my pickup truck can pull, I'll go find the max of what it can pull, and I'll pull it, and I'll show what I can pull. I could be really dumb and go another 10,000 pounds over that. And then what I'm doing is I'm going to demonstrate to you what my pickup truck can't do. I'm going to demonstrate to you that that don't work. Some of you think that that's what's happening when you're in temptations. It's almost he's trying to show you what you can't do. What he's trying to show you is what you carry and what you can do. He's not trying to set you up for failure. (laughs) God leads us into temptation to demonstrate our abilities, not our weaknesses. He wants to show you your abilities. He wants to show you what you carry. The wilderness will confront, and this is good, I want you to grab this, because the wilderness will confront every revelation that you've received. It will confront it. 
Put it this way. What, was the, what happened at the baptism with Jesus? Heavens ripped open and he said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. What was the first thing that happened in the wilderness? If you're the son of God. Oh, the first thing that was happening was that the wilderness was confronting the revelation that he'd received. First thing. If you're the son of God, when he had just heard, this is my son. I didn't say the enemy was always smart, but that's his, it's his tactic. And after challenging his identity, Satan takes a different approach. And I want, you to, I want you to hear this because he takes a different approach. And what does he do? The devil actually begins to quote scriptures to Jesus. Now, this has been messing with me all morning because I began to realize something. He's using the same approach today. He tried to use Scripture out of context to tear apart the identity of Jesus. Jesus' response was, all three times, it is written, and then he said, here's what it actually means. He actually tried to take the Bible take it out of context, and shoot another believer with it. Not that we ever do that. <laughs> he took the scripture and tried to use it against the Messiah. So Jesus just very simply says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to tell you what it really says. And he says, it is written, and then says, this is what it means. Why do you think it's so important that we read our Bibles in the right context? Because everything in this wilderness experience with Jesus, every attack was actually taking Bible verses and just trying to take them out of context and use them against him. I could go down this road a really long time, but I'm going to be nice, and I'm not because this is something that we have to change in the church. It's trying to make Bible verses fit what our need is at that moment. And he was throwing them at Jesus. People often make some very poor choices because of their interpretation of Scripture. Anytime we begin interpreting Scripture outside of identity, it will always release shame, confusion, and doubt. Anytime that we begin to read scriptures outside of their context, especially in the context of identity, it releases shame and it releases confusion and it will mess people up. <laughs> it's hard for us to think in our good Christian minds that scripture can be used by the devil. But that's his best move because he takes something like scripture and says, I'm going to twist this one because it's the Bible. And so he twists it and he throws it at Jesus and Jesus says, no, 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 it's written. Actually, this is what that means.
He responded all, t- all three times. It's written. The very thing that the devil was using, to, the, very, the very tactic that the devil was using, using to challenge Jesus' identity was actually the very thing that affirmed Jesus' identity. He used these scriptures, and Jesus came back and said, no, that's what it means. And he actually affirmed himself through the very same thing. The wilderness is a place where we solidify our identity in God. Put it this way. It's almost like you make this cake. You make this cake, and you've got all these ingredients, and you mix them together. And what's the whole point at the end? It is to enjoy that cake. Glory is on that, guys. And, and you have these, these ingredients, but listen, the purpose is to accomplish the recipe. It's not until you take all the ingredients and stick them under some heat that they can actually become the thing it was intended to be. The reason that the Spirit would allow you into the place of the wilderness is to say, you've got every ingredient you need. You just need a little bit of heat to make it actually form into the recipe that I'm creating. Look at the heat as it's something that's actually creating, forming that thing that God has inside of you. It's not something to say, oh, turn off the heat, turn off the heat. Well, then you'll just be a bunch of whatever it is, gooey, useless, nastiness. All right, that's a little harsh, but you won't. (laughs) You'll never get to attain what God has called you to be. Why? Because you don't want to be under heat. Wilderness is not punishment. It's a place where all the ingredients in your life encounter heat so you can become what God called you to be. You guys are almost going to want the wilderness by the end of this sermon if I just keep going for it. Because actually, I'm going to show you at the end, it's actually a good place. It really is a good place. I want you to recognize something. When Jesus came out of the wilderness, the Bible said that he came out in power. Notice something. I think sometimes when we're in that wilderness, we're like, oh, it's just wearing me down. Wearing me down. Jesus went through it and came out with power. Could it be that we just expect something when we go into the wilderness and you're getting what you expect? What if you expected when the heat comes on to come out filled with power? Maybe you'd come out with power. But maybe if, if your mind's thinking, well, God's just trying to break me down and teach me something, the only time I get out of the wilderness is once I'm broken. And so I have to be broken to get out of the wilderness. When his purpose was not to break you, it was to empower you. And then all of a sudden, we're running the wilderness through our filters. What's to break me? Why would he break you? He made you. It seems kind of pointless that he creates you and says, let me break this now. Almost like he needs something else to do. I'm going to create you, break you, fix you. Create you, break you, fix you. Does that match the character of a good father? 
Something interesting after this point is Jesus leaves the wilderness, but I want you to notice something that I'd never seen before. Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so the crowds of people came to hear him and, he healed, and, and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew lonely places and prayed. Now, depending on your scripture in the New King James Version and some of those in the King James, it'll actually say that Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness. The place that was where he was tempted actually became his place of rest because he overcame it. He didn't say, don't ever take me back there again. His goals were higher than just to escape. Some of us, our goals is just to escape the wilderness. He said, that's not good enough. I want to own this place. I may not want to live there, but I want to own this place. And he would often withdraw from everything that he was going through to actually go back into the wilderness where he went through his temptations. <laughs> Jesus actually walked from a perspective that he didn't just want to survive. He wanted to overcome to the point where he could go from testing, the place of testing could actually become the place of resting. Imagine that. The place of testing can actually become your place of resting. Jesus doesn't give over enemy. He doesn't give over land to the enemy. I'm almost done. This is really important. Jesus doesn't give over land to the devil and say, well, that's your wilderness, I'll stay here. He said, no, this is my land and that's my land too. And I'll overcome you. And a matter of fact, I'll even go back there and rest. Talk about rubbing it in his face. You know, like the place that the devil said, I'm going to take him to this place because this is a really great place to wear him down. And Jesus says, watch this. And he overcomes. And then when he overcomes, he says, you know what? That spot that you thought you could get me at, I'm actually going to go vacation there. The place that was testing became the place of resting. <laughs> I love how Jesus took ownership of it. He actually turned the place where he was, went through all this temptation into a place of intimacy with the Father. He has this thing, if you haven't figured it out, for restoration. And it applies everywhere. You see, he came with the intent to destroy darkness. He's not going to say, well, that wilderness, just stay out of that. No, that's not his assignment. He says, oh, I'll take that too. You don't get to keep that. But the enemy never came back to him again. You see, he didn't go back and the enemy was, oh, he's here again, let's give it a try again. The enemy knew it was over. His goal wasn't to survive. His goal wasn't to escape. It was to overcome. Jesus demonstrated some powerful realities here. One, the wilderness is not bad. Temptation yeah, you got to get through that sometimes, but it's not bad. 
it proves who you are. Maturity is formed where there's options because you can say, I didn't do that, I'm strong. How strong do you know, how strong are you if you never have an option? Oh, but see, we've bought into lies where we feel like we have to hide. I want to be safe from the devil. When Jesus created the garden, which was perfect, and there was options. It's not freedom if there's not options. His place of wilderness became his place of rest. It became the place that proved him. It became the place that demonstrated he came out filled with power. Some of you in this room, I, I feel, I've never preached on this before actually, and I, I felt strongly to preach on it this morning because I think that just like everything else, our viewpoint, our take on something, our filter changes everything. And if you've got a filter on going through seasons in the wilderness that says, it's miserable, I hate it, keep it away, people go there to die, <laughs> I'm serious. If these are the filters that you're running through your head when you think about the wilderness, I wouldn't want to go there either. But the only person that I can take and set an example from is the one that came and did it first and said, watch this. He's the one that I take it from. And he said, the very place that was used against me became the place where I could rest. That tells me it doesn't matter what I'm going through, I can own it. I can own that land. I can own that ground. I can own that place in the spirit, and it will become a place of rest for me. You know, there can be a place where you actually begin to almost look at the wilderness as if, <laughs> it's probably a bad analogy because some of you hate the gym, but <laughs> you can actually look at it as it's a place you're going to strengthen yourself even though it can hurt. You won't find anyone that succeeds that's never been through pain. Sit down and talk to anyone. A lot of people don't share it always from the pulpit, but you won't meet someone that's been in a place of, succeeding without having had pain but they but just like Jesus Jesus said I'm here the cross is here for the joy set before me you are the joy that was set before him you're here the wilderness is here Fullness of Christ is here. Don't stay here. Don't be scared of this. You can own this too. You're married to him, by the way. Everything he owns, you own. That's why you're the bride of Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the revelation that I can feel in this room right now, Father. I pray that even the things that I didn't have time to talk about, that you... Just put your hand on your heart. Would you do that for me? I pray that the things that we didn't even get time to talk about, that the spirit of revelation would reveal it to everyone in this room. I don't have to address everything. You're the one that really has the words. So, Father, I pray that a spirit of revelation would be released through every person in this room. I pray that, Father, they would begin to recognize that the wilderness is not punishment. 
It's not, it's not as if God has put them there because they're in timeout. <laughs> He's put them there to prove their abilities. Now I pray for a correction in our thinking that would be able to say, okay, I got it in my heart. Now I need to get it in my head. So, Father, I pray that you would connect our hearts to our minds. That we know it in our heart now, but our minds can have the determination that's needed to move through this. If you're in this place, you can put your hands down. Keep your eyes closed, if you don't mind. If you're in this place and you say, listen...